here and you didn't carry a Bible in with you, and we always encourage that, but if you didn't, there's one in the seat in front of you that we'd encourage you to follow along. We have been for a long time in this church studying through the book of Mark, and uh, this is the penultimate sermon. We have one more after this, and we're done. But this one just happened to fall on Easter Sunday, and how amazing is that? Because it's the story of Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 16, we begin reading in verse number 1. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, how can it be? Risen is he. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Now as we take just these few moments to look at it and to consider this story of all stories, I pray you would speak. Father, my words mean nothing. I pray that people wouldn't even hear me, that I would disappear behind uh, behind the cross right now, and that, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak. If the Holy Spirit does not speak, nothing good can happen here today. But Father, if you will take this word and apply it to our hearts, we can be changed, we can be saved, we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened. And I just pray that would take place. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to preach clearly and accurately and practically. May your word ring forth truly, and uh, most of all, fill us all with your spirit to hear, that we might hear, that we might listen, and that we might be changed by that which we do here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know what happened. We talk about it every single year on Easter Sunday, even those who only attend on Easter Sunday. And there's always some of those who just come in, and we're so thankful that you're here if you're one of those. 
But uh, you know this part of the Bible because it's probably the only message that you really ever hear preached. Because you come on Easter and we talk about the resurrection. It is without question the most important story, though, in all of the Bible. And so it's good that you've heard it. It's the most important news any of us will ever hear. You know what it is. Jesus, the very Son of God, having been born of a virgin, having lived for 33 years, having spent the last three years of his life uh, preaching the gospel and calling people to become part of the kingdom of God, uh, was arrested and tried in a sham trial, uh, an illegal trial. He was condemned to death. He was scourged. He was nailed to a cross where he died. He was taken down from that cross after he was dead. He was wrapped in linen and he was placed in a tomb, borrowed from a fellow by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. His corpse laid there in that tomb for three days, from Friday evening until Sunday morning. You know the story. All four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell this story. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament and who was responsible for the spread of Christianity to the then-known world by the end of his lifetime, he considered this to be the most important truth that he preached. He called it a thing of first importance. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he went so far in another place as to say that understanding of these things and belief in these things is the only hope you or I have for salvation. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is no news more important than this. Jesus died for your sins and mine. He was buried and he rose again on the third day for you. There is no news that has such power to change your life. There is no news that is as vitally important to the salvation of your soul as this. There is no news anywhere or any time that you need to hear and act upon more than this. Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. Well, Mark tells the story in his typically succinct way. I read the entire chapter, but we're only going to look at the first eight verses because that's what where Mark is actually telling the story of the resurrection. And he manages in his brief and succinct way uh, to get all of the details in there. And so let me just share a few thoughts from it. Look with me, first of all, at verse number two. Verse number two, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. The sun had risen. Now, I know that verse speaks primarily to the timing of the event. I understand that. Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and he rose again early Sunday morning. This verse clarifies that it was very early Sunday morning, and the women were approaching the tomb just at sunrise when the sun had risen. So many traditions have sprung up amongst Christians as we celebrate Easter. And one of the things that a lot of churches do, and, and this church has done in the past, maybe we'll do again someday, is a sunrise breakfast. We're on Easter Sunday morning at the crack of dawn. We crack eggs and sit around and eat and fellowship. And Why do we do that? We do that because we're remembering the fact that Jesus Christ rose at the crack of dawn. Sunrise on that first Easter Sunday morning. 
when they arrived at the grave, when the sun had just peeked over the horizon, they found Jesus was no longer there. So the, the verse speaks primarily, it speaks specifically to the timing of the event, the event. But I find it an interesting play on words. Does anybody besides me think it's an interesting play on words? The sun, S-U-N, was up. And with each degree of warmth and with each lumen of light peeking over the horizon from that risen sun, the hope of a new day dawned. But also, the sun, S-O-N, was up. And his rising ushered in an age of more warmth and light and hope than the world had ever seen. The sun had risen. Am I the only one who thinks that's an interesting play on words? Jesus had promised it beforehand. He had told his disciples, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. He had prophesied it before. And then after it is all over and after he had risen, he was once again speaking with his disciples. He repeated it again and he explained how his death and his burial and his resurrection had been so vital. Luke chapter 24, he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. All the gospel writers record the glorious truth that the sun has risen. News proclaimed by the angelic witnesses at the empty tomb. Now, if you know your Bibles and if you've read the, the four different Gospels, you know that Luke and John mentioned the presence of two angels. Matthew and Mark said one. Probably they were just referring to the one who was the spokesman. But listen to what that angel said. He said, he is not here, for he is risen as he said, come See the place where the Lord lay, Matthew chapter 28. Why do you seek the living among the dead, he said. He is not here, but is risen, Luke chapter 24 and verses 5 and 6. I don't know about you. I thought about this more as I was studying this passage this time than I perhaps have ever thought about it, the play on words between that. And I thought, you know what, I don't know that I'll ever look at a sunrise the same way again. We ought never look at that without being reminded of the S-O-N. Rise. I know this spring it seems like the sun will never rise again. But it will. It will. It always does. And it's a reminder. It's a glorious reminder. It's a wonderful reminder that the sun has risen. Notice now verse number 6. Verse number 6. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See the place. See the place. Could I transport you back to the Holy Land today, if I could transport you and deposit you in the soft and serene and idyllic garden tomb, which is there? You could see the place. At least a very good representation of the place. You would look at it and you would see an ancient tomb carved into the rock hillside. And as you approached the entrance to that tomb, you would see that there is a trough, a groove cut into the ground leading up to the opening of that tomb. It was a place where once a stone most likely rolled to seal the doorway. But you would look, and you would look around, and you would see that there's no stone there. 
stone is gone. You'd step over the groove and you'd step over the threshold into the into the dim interior of that rock tomb. You know what you'd see in there? You'd see a couple of slabs where bodies were meant to be laid. Resting places for the dead. But you would look there and you would notice there's no body there. The tomb is empty. The first time I visited that place, and it's, it's a place that if, if anybody has an opportunity to ever go there, you need to see it. But the first time I visited that place, the first time I saw it, there's a guide there obviously explaining it to you. And I remember him explaining various details about the place. But after he had gone through his spiel, he looked at us and he pointed to the door. And then he said very simply, very quietly, and with great emotion, he said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And I can't explain to you why that got me so emotionally, but it really did. I, I, it, it just... My emotions welled up within me when he said it, does it now, even as I think about it. And I, I think about what that experience was like. But my emotions at that simple recreation of the event could not be anything like what these women experienced when they heard it for the very first time. And that angel said to them, come, see the place where the Lord lay. We sang it this morning, God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lived. You see that place? The stone is gone, the body is gone, the sun has risen, and the tomb is empty evermore. Oh, that you all could see it. Well, look now at verse number 7. Verse number 7, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. You will see him. If the story of Jesus had ended with his death, it would have still been a mighty story, wouldn't it? Just as many other martyrs are spoken of and revered, he would have been. Often for generations to follow, he would have been. Songs would still be sung. Followers would still follow, that his memory would still be revered. We would still speak his words. Some would, anyway. But it didn't end with his death, did it? For the sun has risen. And amazingly, it didn't even end there. He arose, and then something else happened. Here's what happened. Multiplied hundreds of people saw and interacted with the risen Christ after that first Easter. The angel told the women here that Jesus was headed for Galilee and they should join him there. There you will see him, they said. He said. And of course, if we continue reading our Bibles, we find that's exactly what happened. Earlier, we heard from the Apostle Paul when he was describing these events and saying they were of first importance. But let me read just a little bit further, and I want you to notice what else he said. 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and, see, he wasn't done there yet. There was more to come. And he was seen by Cephas, another name for Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also. You will see him, the angels said. And that's exactly what happened. 
Peter saw him alive. James saw him alive. All the 11 remaining apostles saw him alive. Paul saw him alive on the Damascus Road, and many others saw him alive at one point. Over 500 people at the same time, in the same moment, saw him alive. You will see him. That's what happened. They saw him. But there's a word for you and me here as well, isn't there? That promise was not only to those women. It was not only to those people who were directly involved on that day. It's a promise to us. We will see him. He has gone on ahead, and we will see him. He said in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. Also, you will see him. That's what the angel said. That's exactly what will happen. Are you ready for that day, my friend? You will see him. It's coming. Just as sure as it came for Peter and for Paul and for James and for the others, you will see him. Well, one last thing I'll mention, and that's also in verse number 7. Notice it says there, go, tell his disciples and Peter. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why are we here today? What are we doing here? You ever wonder that? Why does our church send out invitations to events such as this one? You know, we mailed out 2,500 invitations for this day. Some of you, we always get one or two as a result of that. Some of you may be here today because you received an invitation like that. Why do we do that? It's not exactly cheap. Plus some money. Some people have to spend an evening stamping and sticking labels on invitations. Why do we do that? Why do Christians think it is such an important day that they invite friends and family members to join us on a day like this? What do we think we have that's worth giving up a Sunday morning for? And yet some of you are here today because a friend or a family member invited you to come. Why are we here? Why are you here? Well, we do all this because we believe we have a message that's worth sharing. Good news worth proclaiming. We can't keep it in. We have to share it. The angel said, go and tell. And that's exactly what we must do. We can't help it. The news is so good. It's so mind-boggling. It's so world-changing that we have to go and tell it. The sun is risen. And if you could see the place, you'd see it for yourself. The sun is risen. And you will see him soon. It's a message we cannot help but proclaim. At Christmas time, we sing this little old spiritual. It says, go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Oh, but not only born. Jesus Christ is crucified. Jesus Christ is buried. And Jesus Christ is risen again. The sun is risen. And that we must tell on the mountain and over the hills and everywhere. We must tell it to our children. We must tell it to our parents. We must tell it to our neighbors. We must tell it to our friends. We must tell it in America. And we must tell it around the world. We must send missionaries to tell it where we cannot personally go. It's a message we have to tell. When Jesus died on the cross... When he was buried for three days, when he rose from the dead, he did all that for you. He did all that for me. The Bible says that all of us are sinners and God will not allow sin into his presence. None of us were able or are able to fix our brokenness and sin. 
not without his help. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he was buried. That's why he rose again to fix you and to fix me, to save us from our sin, to pay off the debt we owed to God for all the sinful thoughts and all the sinful words and all the sinful deeds that we helplessly and daily commit. That's what we must go and tell. You can be forgiven of your sins because Jesus paid for them on the cross. You can have eternal life because Jesus defeated death and rose again. You can be saved and born again and made new and forever whole because of what Jesus did for you. No matter what you've done and no matter how long you've waited and put it off, you can experience the life Jesus died and rose to give you. That's what we must go and tell. And we cannot help ourselves. We must go and tell. But Mark gives us another little joyous word here. Notice again that phrase that I read from verse number 7. But go, tell his disciples, and Peter. And Peter. Mark is the only one of the four gospel writers to include that. The other gospel writers included the first part, but not that singling out of Peter. Is there any significance to that? Of course the answer is yes. Most scholars suggest that Mark's gospel is actually, some have even referred to it as Peter's gospel. Mark was a disciple of Peter, followed him around and assisted him and worked with him. And many people believe that this is pretty much an assembling of Peter's preaching and Peter's teaching here. Prior to Christ's death on the cross, Peter had sworn undying allegiance to Jesus, believed in him completely. But then, and we don't have time to go into it, but then you remember, in a terrible moment of weakness, he betrayed Jesus terribly. He denied, he turned his back on him, he denied that he even knew who he was. Peter's sin was black. Peter's sin was horrendous. His, his relationship with Jesus was seemingly ended. But in these little words, and Peter, you know what we see? We see that Jesus never turned his back on Peter. Here in those little words, and Peter, we are reminded that he never turns his back on any of us. Peter sunk as low as one can sink, and yet it wasn't too low for Jesus to reach him. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. It wasn't too late for Peter. Read your Bible, and you'll see that Jesus restored him, and their relationship was renewed. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. It wasn't too late for Peter. And it isn't too late for you either. I have to tell you this morning, my friend, no matter where you are and no matter what you've done or how much time you've wasted, Jesus still loves you. And he will forgive you in an instant if you will turn to him. He will forget your every sin. He will forget your every betrayal as if they had never happened if you will simply run to him. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. You see, there is hope because of the resurrection. Hope reigns because the Son is risen. Billy Graham once said, The resurrection of Christ changed the midnight of bereavement into a sunrise of reunion. It changed the midnight of disappointment into a sunrise of joy. It changed the midnight of fear to a sunrise of peace. Have you experienced that reunion? Do you have that joy? Do you know that peace? On one occasion, Peter was preaching to a group of people, and he was preaching about the resurrection. And at the conclusion of the sermon, the people were cut to the heart, Acts chapter 2 says. 
And they said to Peter, what shall we do? What shall we do? I know that for many here this morning who have heard this and walked away unchanged Easter after Easter or Lord's Day after Lord's Day, that will most likely be the response today as well. Many will hear these truths and just file them away. Nice stories. Interesting stuff. Nothing more. Many will hear of the resurrection and say it's not possible. And they won't believe. But some, maybe some here today, like those who heard Peter preach it, will wonder, what must we do about these things? You see, there's no hope for that first group. If they die in that same unbelieving state, they die lost forever. But if you're in that second group, there is hope for you. There's hope for you right now if you're asking the question, what must I do? And here's what you must do. You must repent and believe the gospel. You must turn away from your sins and and, and turn to Jesus Christ. You must call upon the name of the Lord, asking him to forgive your sins and save your soul. You need to believe that he died for you, that he was buried for you, and that he was raised for you. What must I do? You must believe all of these things, all of them. And then you must kneel at the cross. And ask for the gift of salvation he is holding out to you right now. He died to give it to you. He lay buried in the grave for three days that you might have it. And he rose again so that he could give it to you. Will you receive it today? Well, let's pray. Father, we're thankful so much for the good, good, good news that is the Easter message. Thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ died for us, we're so sorry that, that it was necessary, but so thankful that it happened. Thank, thank you, Lord, that he lay in that grave for three days, and then at the end of those three days, burst forth in victory, and that he now lives and lives forevermore. The sun has risen. We can see the place. And now we need to go and tell. And, Lord, I pray today that if there's any here who have not yet responded to the message, Father, we've told it shared it as best we can. We've done it in song. We've done it in, in, in preaching. We've done it just in, in conversation one with another. Many conversations have been had over dinner tables and around cups of coffee between family members and friends as we've done our best to go and tell. And now, Lord, we just pray that if there's even one who's right now where they're sitting saying, what must I do? What must I do? What must I do? Help them, Father, to call upon the name of the Lord this day. They can do it right where they sit. May they know that. They can step out and come to the front as we sing and let someone explain it to them more fully. Uh, Let them know that. But, oh, Holy Spirit, will you speak and talk to people and help them to know they can know this Jesus who died and was buried and who rose again. They can know him in a very personal way. They can have a relationship with him that is eternal if they will but repent and believe and receive. May that happen today, we pray. We thank you in the Lord's In Jesus' name.